up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 152. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Very kind of you to uh, to wait for me to start the episode. Uh, I yeah. wasn't sure I'd get that kind of courtesy. <laughs> you know, you can't always be sure. But, you know, today I'm feeling good today. And, and you know, you're a good friend. So I gave it to you. <laughs> for context, uh, I got up to refill my drink and I hear my headphones. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Draft Chaff. <laughs> Yeah, he was like, hold on, I'm going to go fill this up and then we can start. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> and as soon as he got up, I started the show. Anyway, this week is Draft Chaff Hero Week. We are going through our March the Machine Draft Chaff Hero. Before we get into that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in the Discord, check that out. It's the best place to be to chat with us, the rest of the Chaficionado community, and share your trophies. Lots of trophies showing up this uh, season, I guess we can call it. And you can discuss your picks, all sorts of things like that. And the link to that is in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. I will say it's pretty cool. We saw someone jump into Discord and I should know this, but the name is escaping me at the moment. But we had someone jump in the Discord recently who was like, I've been listening to the show for two years and just decided to check in. So really cool. I mean, if you're on the fence about joining the Discord, I really think it's a good place to be. We really love it and uh, would love to have you there. So definitely check that out. Yeah, that was Spurlo. Uh, Cool to see you hop in there. And again, if you're listening and haven't been in the Discord, uh, just come say hi. It's really cool seeing so many people active uh that that's what i love seeing messages from just tons of people and and i don't know it, it just uh reminds us how cool a community we've got uh both listening and interacting and just chatting about all things fun and magic and if you'd like to support the show directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod huge huge thanks to each of our lovely patrons over there who continue to support us each and every week we're beyond grateful for all of you perks over there include things like our draft doctor series stickers show notes our pre-show recordings and our draft chaff hero cards signed by us and sent to you again you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod all right on to our cracker draft type thing what do we got ben we've got a pack one pick one here first up tranquil cove blue white gain lands cool I like it. I especially like a copy of this in the Blue White Knights deck, which means I can often bring my curve down to a little lower. Um, maybe play 16 lands and one of these, so I'm not too worried. But I have noticed that there's some intense mana costs in white. Uh, if you happen to have like a Daxos or, uh, I don't know, the, the White White Rare uh, that, that supports things, Anafenza, the Kintree Spirit, some of those are, are hard to cast, right? So having some fixing even in the aggro decks, uh, it's pretty good. Piratic Prankster's up next. Fine playable in red, um, but I don't love starting in red. And this one's playable outside just the black-red sack decks, but it's best home there. We've got Aerial Boost up next. We were having a conversation about combat tricks before the show. And look, I know my White Weenies decks. I know my combat tricks. Uh, the tricks in this set, both this and the Intervention, uh, Angelic Intervention, the one of the white put a counter on it, give protection from something. These are both good, but they're not really what you look for for combat tricks that help you with a wide board attack through a big blocker. Uh, aerial boost, you tend to cast pre-combat on your one biggest thing and swing it over top. Uh, and the other one, uh, the intervention, just getting one counter, it's not big enough a stat boost. You really want something like 2-2 two, two or like 3-0 in first strike or something like that. You want something bigger to help you eat up their blocker, keep your attacker alive, and allow your other things to get in. Whereas that one kind of just acts as like a almost like a counter spell that for something targeting one of your creatures. You use it more as that than you do a uh, an actual combat trick. So the the white decks they're a little limited in their their counter spells. Uh, sorry, in their combat tricks. I think that's why bounce has been pretty effective. Invasion of Xerix, Ifara's dispersal, and the tapper, uh, the uh, the Zalfir and Lancer. 
uh, as ways to help you get in with your white decks. So uh, the aerial boost, it's good. Uh, the only place I think it's super at home is with Zada. Getting to Zada, jump your whole board is stupid, but I haven't loved red, white in the set besides that. That's kind of like the only thing the deck has going for it. And then you're relying on multiverse legend cards. Those don't always get open. So it's it's a whole thing. Long story short, this is a solid trick, but it's not as solid as it looks. Yeah. Also, that was a Marshall of Zelfir, not the Zelfir and Lancer you were talking about. But yeah, oh, I totally yeah, agree. It's uh, There's like a niche sort of sub vector within red, white. That is its own. I mean, really, it's its own vector is the Zada deck. And that's really one you don't want to build until you have a Zada. It's, it's not one that you can really justify putting together until you've got the Zada. But if you happen to be main white, you open a Zada pack two, pick one or something like that. It's something you can move into. And uh, I've seen it be played to great success. But I agree with what you're saying. The tricks in this set are definitely a little lackluster in terms of the way we're used to seeing them and, and kind of the way we've gotten used to playing with tricks in these colors. Next up is Placid Rotten Tail. One mana, one, one Vigilance with some counter nonsense. Eh... Unless you're in some kind of like black green convoke vector, which I could see if you've got like the hoarding broodlord or something and you want another one drop for your deck to help you power it out. And you maybe you have some incidental mill, like an unsealed necropolis or some other stuff like that. But th- this is not something you want for your most decks. We got the overgrown pest up next. I like this one. Although three mana two two, eh, it doesn't always stabilize the board quite as much as you want against like a knight's beatdown deck, but it does draw you a card. You know, it gets you a land or sometimes when you hit this in the late game, this can be a great top deck because you're like, all right, I'm going to go try to find my battle or my, my super good flip card or my Phyrexian flip card um, or even just like a land that you really needed. Just grab a gain land, gain a life, something like that. Uh, very hard to miss on this one. We've got Infected Defector up next, the five mana four three, uh, the Phyrexian Knight. It's whatever. I've played one or two in my Knights decks that just didn't really get there and they were fine. Yeah, I mean, a five mana four three isn't really what your Knights decks want, but if you really need an extra Knight in the deck, it's a fine 23rd playable. Otherwise, uh, typically not looking to play this one. Yeah, I really enjoy having this one out on the board when it's a six five because of uh, multiple Marshals of Zalfir. <laughs> but besides that, no, you don't want this for much. White is not as good in this set as I want it to be outside of the Knights deck. So next up is Flitting Gorilla. Uh, it's you know kind of impressive how a gorilla can fly like that, given that they're several hundred pounds. But uh, this thing is it's just fine. You know, I, I I think it fills a very similar role to the Unsealed Necropolis, and I like Unseal a little more. Just three mana two two flyer. It's whatever. You can trade this off with a preening champion if you need to, or better yet, just have a war historian on the ground to block it. Uh, I, I like this one. It's it's a very mid rangey card. Three mana three three reach. Uh, some green decks just kind of are okay with that. This makes uh, preening champion look kind of silly. Which you know if you can do that then pretty good card we got a temporal cleansing here good blue convoke spell this is true removal although you do have to deal with the thing again later uh, pretty good at killing big incubate tokens though last common here is the beamtown beat stick uh, i'm not going to admit how many takes it just took for me to pronounce that <laughs> correctly <laughs> hopefully zach did edit them all out thanks zach uh, the beat stick i'm a believer now i get it I like the beat stick. There's even some weird little artifact sack vector stuff uh, that works really well with the treasures. Uh, things like uh, Final Flourish. You, you can sacrifice artifacts to that too. Yeah, you're supposed to sack um, like incubate tokens, but if you have a treasure sitting around, you'd rather sacrifice that than a token, right? Than an incubate token. Plus, uh, this helps with fixing. Sometimes the black-red decks, as I mentioned a little earlier, can be three colors uh, or maybe four, depending. And yeah, you do have to land this early for it to be effective, but there's plenty of early game attackers Giving Menace makes this really strong. Uh, it does cost one and equip for two. I prefer it to be the other way around, like the old pickaxe from uh, Kaldheim. Uh, 
cast for two equipped for one for that one. But this is a uh, it's still pretty good. Also, uh, a fun little mini combo here in black red uh, jury uh, jury master the review. If you can make a bunch of treasures, you can do some really gross stuff with jury. Well, that's the end of our comments. What are you looking at? Not a whole lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Tranquil Clove, Overgrown Pest, and maybe the Invasion of Arcadia, I guess, are like kind of my top three in this pack. I, I haven't played the Beat Stick deck, and I don't think even the Beat Stick deck wants to first pick a Beat Stick. So I'm not really thinking about that. I have seen in the Discord, a lot of people are talking about how, how it's been pretty great, yourself included, Ben. But uh, I think here I'm probably on... Like, this is the kind of pack where I think I just want to take the Tranquil Cove and like... Mm have an okay land you did hint at an uncommon there that's coming up the uh, invasion of mercadia oh, i wow. think i like yeah. that more than all these commons but yeah that is one of our uncommons it's our uh our, our siege here this is the one that when it enters the battlefield you may discard a card if you do draw two it is for defense uh and the backside is that a uh, kylan flame right the one that lets you tap pay three discard a card and then basically cast heroic reinforcements which is pretty sick uh the backside of this card is a a must kill threat I mean, just turning top deck lands in the late game into making two tokens at instant speed and buffing yeah. your team, it, it's really strong. Uh, and this thing is is costed really effectively. At two mana, you can usually sneak this in on turn four along with the two drop and then attack it with your three drop. Uh, I, I like this one a lot. Yeah, my bad there. Uh, the way the screenshot was taken, it's, it looks to me like it's a <laughs> common. But yeah, um, I think in the commons, I would probably take Tranquil Cove over anything else here. Invasion of Mercadia probably goes above that. Yeah, I think I like the cleansing myself, but you're also kind of solidifying yourself into a vector there. But the blue decks are all just so good. That's true. Next uncommon here is Seal from Existence. This, uh, man, this O-Ring has the unfortunate quality of having double white pips, and that's not somewhere I like starting in this format. Sometimes even in the Knights deck, I mean, the Knights deck will play these, but um, I don't know. It just You don't really want to lean into white super hard unless you're leaning into the Knights deck, I found. Um, Green-white doesn't always get there. Uh, red white doesn't always get there uh, they can they can have good draws but there's much more powerful things to do in this format and those often involve blue and black yeah also i mean this does have the upside of having ward on a on an effect that you know there's a lot of bounce in this set so hmm. that's uh it's nice to have that but yeah i don't really it's fine removal i think it's you know it's the best removal white gets really um in this set so it's fine i probably still take it over invasion of mercadia but that's pretty close i might take mercadia over it next up we've got gift of completion uh, that's the one of the black enchantment you incubate three and whenever a phyrexian dies you surveil one it's uh it's fine i, I don't love this one um i'd rather have you doing like the uh what is it traumatic revelation on turn two uh, the thought sees effect that, that gets your opponent mm -hmm. and can't miss you get to incubate from that instead i think i like that more than this um there are some in this cycle that are super strong. Tangled Skyline, just a nightmare for any kind of aggressive deck. But this one is just fine. Yeah, I've never been super high on this one. Uh, probably the worst of the cycle, in my opinion. We do have a multiverse legend. It's Rada, 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 Rada. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is just not a set where Rada makes any sense. Um I don't think I've I've seen much success in red green at all, either myself or other people. I mean, I'll take Koga and and Yadara and just slam them in like a green sultai red value pile, but I'm not playing Rada. Yeah, uh, you said this is a set where Rada doesn't really make any sense. I would take it a step further and argue that this is a set where red green doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not a vector yeah. in 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 sort of it's not a color pair that i'm typically looking to play i think to your point there are certainly red green cards that you will slot into 
any real base green deck just as a splash because, well, a lot of those decks are capable of splashing quite easily. Rod is not one of those cards. And uh, yeah, next. <laughs> yep. So with our uncommons, I think I am looking at Invasion of Mercadia now, but yeah. still not the most exciting thing. Thankfully, our rare has got us. Uh, it's Archpriest of Shadows. I love yeah, this card. This said. is the black backup one. Uh, you can do some really, really gross stuff <laughs> with with Archpriest of Shadows. Oh, yeah. The card speaks for itself. I mean, this it's just bonkers. This is another one that you look at and you're like, wait, this isn't a mythic? Why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plus, it's a five mana four four death touch like th- this thing is beefy by itself uh no by itself it's a five mana five five death touch okay 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 up. you got me <laughs> <laughs> all right on to our fairy tibble this is our roses and thorns style segment where ben and i share a high and a low from the past week so uh yeah ben you can kick us off here what's up sure it's been a wild week uh we're winding down the last couple weeks of school and for teachers this means chaos uh Testing, state testing, uh, putting in grades for the end of the marking period, getting uh, the, the stuff done for the end of the marking period. Uh, end of year concerts. I'm going to two this week. Um, for both, I'm just staying straight after school because, you know, losing an hour in traffic both ways or one way. Well, I guess total doesn't make a lot of sense when I could use that time to grade or catch up on end of the year stuff. Uh, so it means I'm getting home at like nine <laughs> a couple nights this week. Not great means I haven't had a lot of time. I guess that's my tibble. I haven't had much time for uh, the new Zelda game, Tears of the Kingdom. I've had some time. It is incredible. It is better than Breath of the Wild. I'm putting my, my foot down on that one. Uh, it, it's nuts. And I also haven't much time for, you know, drafting mom. But I've still had a couple uh, couple opportunities. One of those times I've found um, that this is maybe my biggest affair of the week. I've come up with a new gym routine. Uh, I realized I need to better incentivize myself to go to the gym. And I know a common strategy is pick something and only do it at the gym, whether it's like a good TV show. Uh, but for me, I decided, why don't I, why don't I make it so that I draft at the gym? <laughs> I usually do cardio and I'm thinking like I can cardio? easily. Yeah. Like card. EO. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call it that now. I'm totally going to call it that. I'm doing cardio. Oh my God. That's so good. So um, I, I, I'm going to be like on the treadmill or whatever drafting and then you know but i probably won't play i don't know that that gets a little much but maybe i'll pick a show um i'm meaning to watch barry still that, that seems like a good one uh and and pick a show to like watch an episode of for the rest of it or something like that so finding ways to incentivize myself it works what's up with you well uh my teferi said it's been beautiful lately we've had weather up in like the high 70s, uh, mid 70s, low 70s, even touching the 80s and 90s the last couple of weeks. That gets a bit much for me, but uh, it's been sunny and beautiful. And we had like a week and a half straight of rain in the last like month or so. So it's been great yeah. to have nice weather and just be able to enjoy being outside, which is ironic. I think, you know, I was talking to somebody recently. I'm, you know, and Ben and I both did, but I grew up a gamer. Like I was always playing video games. I I played a lot outside too, but I was big into games anymore. Even when I have the time, a lot of times I find myself just, I'd rather just go take a walk outside than sit down and play a video game. Really Mm. strange. I I guess I'm getting old or something. (laughs) What's wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Though that will kind of segue into my tibble in a minute, but I also, uh, my other fairies, I've got a trip coming up. I'll be in San Francisco for about a week. Um, It's a work trip, but it should be pretty fun Um, with remote work it's pretty rare to actually get to meet your coworkers. So it'll be mm. nice to actually be out there with some coworkers that I can um, just chat with and actually meet in person. And the team's pretty young. So 
Um, a lot of them are around my age, so it'll be, it'll be pretty nice. Cool. My tibble is that I can't seem to make decisions. And by that, I mean, I've been very on the fence about picking up one of two games and I don't know which to pick up yet. A lot of folks have been conv- trying to convince me to pick up Elden Ring, mm. but I also have my eyes on Hogwarts Legacy and both seem really incredible. And I can't, I can't make a decision on whether I want either or both or just one or what. And basically when I find myself not able to make a decision on a purchase, I just don't make the purchase. So (laughs) pretty efficient. Yeah. I would suggest you get Elden Ring because then you could make me get Elden Ring. I've wanted to play it for a very long time. I've heard it's incredible. Uh, Hogwarts Legacy, I haven't had, I've just never was big on Harry Potter, I guess. Um, Mm. But I mean, Ellen Ring, I've seen some lore stuff, the mechanics, the gameplay, it all looks awesome. If you like it, then you could force me to get it too. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And I guess there is some sort of multiplayer aspect to Elden Ring. I think I wouldn't know. I think Hogwarts Legacy is like sort of MMO-esque. I don't know if it's actually an MMO, but I remember them saying it was supposed to be MMO-esque. So hmm. that's also the kind of thing that's drawing me towards it. I am a big Harry Potter fan, so that's also part of it. I don't know. There's a whole lot that can go into that decision. Probably should just stick to drafting. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've got a pretty great set in our hands, uh, including a couple standout cards, one of which I think stands out above the rest. Well, before we talk about that one, we've got our listener question of the week. And this week, our question comes from Dorigan, who asks, what kind of metrics do you get on the podcast? And you want to fill us in? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I, I will not. For those that don't know, uh, Zach is pretty good with numbers. So I... Uh, I kindly allow him to, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it falls on him, the, the grand responsibility of keeping track of this stuff, but, um, you've done a good job of keeping, keeping good numbers. Uh, so but this is your area of expertise. You can, you can talk about this. I do. I can. It's funny you say that because a lot of people who, uh, who know, like, you know, I went into software development out of college. A lot of people were like, Oh, you must be really good at math. I'm like, no, I'm terrible at math. That's why I tell computers to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. So I'll kind of walk through some of the metrics we can collect. Um, we host on for, I guess, a little bit of transparency. We host with Spotify or what used to be Anchor, but is now podcast Spotify for podcasters or something like that. You heard the ad read. You know where we're at. <laughs> um, so we collect all sorts of metrics. One is overall plays. Like we get a we get a number for all time plays of every episode kind of uh, aggregated together. Uh, We get plays per episode. We get audience size that's kind of extrapolated or interpolated from the plays per episode. And we only really get those numbers over like, like the audience size one, for example, we, we only get on like a per week basis. So it's an audience size from the last seven days. Um, And they use some math and such to figure out what that looks like. We track Spotify followers. We get, um, we get like a curve to show us how many downloads our show gets every day or every week or whatever, however we want to sort of um, spread that out. We also get a ton of demographic information, things like geography, what platform you're using to listen to the show. Um, and then a lot of those are, are Spotify specific. We get like gender and age based on what you set up your account in Spotify, all completely anonymous. We don't have any names attached to this stuff, but we just get like percentages. So we know kind of roughly from Spotify listeners, we know roughly what the age group is that we, that listens to our show. Um, and then we also of course get like episode rankings. We can kind of see total downloads for each episode individually. And, um, we get some information on our estimated earnings from ads and stuff like that as well. So, I mean, overall, those are the metrics we get. I don't think we're going to dig into the numbers themselves. Um, but yeah, I think 
I think that sufficiently answered the question. I can pretty safely say we, we've come up orders of magnitude from our original <laughs> like week one, episode one listenership, including in, in total downloads, which honestly, but what are we even at anymore? I remember when we passed like 10,000 a long time ago. How many total downloads are we at? A total listens, yeah, I guess. Right, right, right. Yeah, plays. Spotify calls them plays. But mm. um, actually, what? And there's there's a metric that constitutes what a play is. So a play is any stream of 60 seconds or longer. Hmm. Um, but we're at just shy of 17,000. And that's on this platform. Uh, we did have the older hosting platform, too. Right. Yeah, when we switched platforms, we were at about twelve or 13,000, and we lost those. Like, wow, Spotify so no longer shows us that. Like, the, we started back from zero when we switched hosting. So we must be around... 30,000 roughly 30 yeah somewhere in the 30,000 range that's that's starting to get into the again the order of magnitude that's beyond human brain space we're not very good at at picturing those those kinds of numbers so that's honestly if you're hearing us talk about this thank you that that's that's nuts that's so cool yeah it is pretty wild especially because this was this started as something that we weren't really expecting to do i mean maybe we'll get into more of the story of how this started and everything in our anniversary episode which is coming up our third anniversary i think Um, yeah so yeah, maybe we'll talk more about that stuff then, but those are generally the metrics that we collect, yeah. Let's jump into our main topic. We've got a draft trap here to talk about for March of the Machine. This is a big one. It's uh, it's already made some splashes and constructed, which, uh, I mean, that kind of disqualifies it as draft chaff, but we had been planning on this one long before it showed up at the Pro Tour. We've got Invasion of Amonkhet here. Invasion of Amonkhet, of course, is one of the new sieges. It costs one blue, black. It's an uncommon, and it has four defense. Uh, And it says, when Invasion of Amonkhet enters the battlefield, each player mills three cards, then each opponent discards a card, and you draw a card. That's not a bad effect by itself, right? I mean, this this is a a pretty similar thing we've seen to Disinformation Campaign uh, way back in in the uh, Radnica sets. And that, that was some good value, right? Just a disinformation campaign. That one, whenever you surveilled, I think it was, you could return it to yeah. your hand and do it again. This one, you're not bouncing back and forth, but that mill is pretty good because it works well with uh, with graveyard stuff also in this vector. But right off the bat, uh, this thing is, is doing pretty well for itself. It's got a nearly 62% game in hand win rate. And, you know, that that's a little bit higher than my game win rate. So <laughs> not too bad. Yeah, it's... Um it's also well situated in terms of mana cost to defense ratio. I think we've we've talked about this a few times. If you didn't catch our battle of the battles episode, I would recommend you go check that out. We talked a lot about what we look for in a battle, but at three mana, this is reasonable to cast on curve. It's a reasonable effect for the mana. It does kind of get you uh, up a card, I suppose, because they're discarding. You're replacing this with so yeah, I guess you're up a card. And at four defense, it's relatively easy to flip. I mean, that's kind of the sweet spot in the set. The four defenses is, is basically as low as it gets. Um, and then you have to ask the question of what do you actually get for flipping this? Is the front side enough to cast it on its own? I don't know that I would put this card in my deck if it was just a sorcery that said three mana, each player mills three, your opponent discards a card, mm. you draw a card. Maybe I yeah. would. Maybe I would. But I, it would be questionable and it would depend on the rest of the context of my deck. Mm-hmm. But when you staple the backside to this, it's a pretty easy inclusion. And the backside is Lazatep Convert. It's the format. Um, sorry, well, I guess three mana, but the 4 4 zombie 
And when it enters the battlefield, you can copy, you can have it enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature in a graveyard, except it's a 4-4 black zombie in addition to its other type. So it effectively uh, eternalizes itself or eternalizes yeah. any creature, really. Uh, really interesting lore implications here. The flavor text says, as the Lazatep covered his body, he heard Norin's voice fade from a definite clarion to a distant whisper. So I guess the Lazatep... I mean, we've seen a bunch of ways in the multiverse that people can get converted from their base state, right? We saw Emrakul's influence could uh, mutate people in, in the Eldrazi type of way. We've seen that Lazotep, uh, when covering a body with it, I mean, they became an Eternal. And now we've seen how, uh, I mean, the, the Frexians can complete people. We haven't really seen any instances where those three have overlapped until now. Uh, and it looks like the Lazatep just fully overtakes <laughs> the uh, Frexianization. Not fully. I mean, it fades to a distant whisper, so she's still there. It's just like not entirely there. I don't know. I guess this this creature, this zombie would answer to the Scarab God instead of Norn now. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know what, that, what the lore implications are there. But as far as gameplay goes, we get a phenomenal 4-4. Well, maybe better, uh, depends. Um, and then, yeah, you copy pretty much anything. So really what you're looking at copy are things with amazing ETB effects, something like maybe a tally. I've done it. It is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, honestly, just copying something like a preening champion or something uh, like the knight that makes another token. Uh, making two bodies off of this can sometimes be big, usually because you swing and, and you get, I don't know, you flip this maybe by attacking with a flyer because opponents will often try very hard to stop you from flipping this. Um, you, you have to put a little bit of work into it. Then if you get a good ETB, you can kind of make up that ground. Maybe you make a big flyer to flip another uh, siege that you have laying around or uh, you just make something again that makes a token to stabilize the board. You could make something with lifelink. There's a couple lifelinkers in the set. Uh, if you need something bigger, things with backup, right? Even like a Gloomfang Mauler uh, to, to give like a good backup ability. Uh, I have actually copied uh, the, um, uh, the, what's it called? The uh, Archpriest of Shadows, the, the rare we just talked about, where then that puts a count on something. Yeah, you don't get it to do it the same turn because you already went to combat. But then you have an Archpriest, which you can attack with, get more stuff back truly disgusting yeah i will say too this is an interesting invasion in that it gives you sort of a weird tension between blocking for it and not and by that i mean right if you're blocking attacks that are going toward the invasion of amonkhet you're protecting invasion of amonkhet you don't want it to flip you're kind of faced with this dilemma where let's say you have some creatures that are solid creatures but you're not going to trade with your opponent's attackers. You would just stem off an attack for a turn if you were to chump them away. Mm -hmm. You kind of make the invasion of Amonkhet better because now the controller of the invasion totally. has more options when they flip when they do eventually flip it. So there's a there's an interesting tension there where you kind of don't want to block unless you really can eat the creature that's attacking. And in that case, they're probably not going to attack any. Yeah. Another question is: Do you kill the thing that's attacking the invasion, or do you let it through, let them get the creature? and then kill the flipped Lazatep convert. Really yeah, that really depends. Design. Right. Yeah, in my opinion, that really depends on the choices available to whoever controls the Lazatep convert, right? If there are some good ETB, right? If you've got enough Tali in, in the graveyards, uh, you probably just don't let this thing flip, right? Um, yeah. It's going to do too much damage when it just ETBs uh, to begin with. Let's run through some data real quick. Uh, we're going to focus on the game and hand win rate. And this actually is at the very top of uncommons, though it is tied with the Marshal of Zalfir, which is funny because blue-white is strong. And some of the blue-white decks that I've played, they feel like they really do come together when Marshall is you know, involved. But I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily think a blue-white is quite that good. Maybe maybe it's it's that 
bad blue white decks have overperformed for me. That, that might be a fun way to say it. Decks that I've been like, all right, well, didn't really get their own knights. I've got one marshal. Those decks tend to do better than I expect. Uh, I guess the marshal is a big part of that. But Invasion of Amonkhet, this thing just has such flexibility, whereas marshal only fits in exactly one vector. Uh, Invasion of Amonkhet goes into a whole bunch. Yeah, I guess you could technically put Marshall's Alfier in a handful of vectors, but it's really not going to do too well and probably is actually hurting your deck overall if you're not dedicated in the Knight's deck. Um, but yeah, two-mana Tapper isn't isn't bad either in pretty much any deck that can cast it. Like we mentioned, these both have a 61.9% game and hand win rate. Pretty good, but then 1% lower is Norin's Inquisitor. This is an interesting one. Uh, here's my reasoning. I guess it's like a Sorolf's Packmate, except instead of drawing a card, it makes a 1-1 of a relevant creature type that makes your f- transform cards better. It's a pretty convoluted approach in my mind. <laughs> All I heard was it's not a Sorolf's Packmate, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, functionally, I guess within the context of this set, it does perform something of a remotely similar effect. Um, this was a surprise to me as well that it was this high in the, the game and hand win rate, but um, it is still lower than the top common, which is Preening Champion. And Preening Champion has a 61.3% game and hand win rate. So just kind of barely missing out um, between uh, Invasion of Amonkhet and Marshall Zalfir. They're they're both a little bit ahead. And then the Preening Champion. But that's not really a surprise, right? Preening Champion has been just a standout common for this whole format. I don't think there was ever a situation where people were low on Preening Champion. No, yeah. And uh, man, you got to be pretty smart podcasters to call that one. Right, right yeah. Totally unexpected. <laughs> or or maybe, maybe you don't. <laughs> I think you don't. I think you don't. It's, uh, I mean, yeah. It, it seemed pretty obvious up front. And uh I would even argue that. I mean, we were very high on Preening Champion. I would even argue it's better than we thought it was. Um, no, yeah, it totally is. Some of the other uh, top commons are, are not super surprising either. Deadly Derision, Ifara's Dispersal, Eyes of Gataxius, um, which I get now. That's actually like a Sorrel's Packmate. Uh, and then Assimilate Essence. This was on, th- this one caught me a little by surprise, but, um, you know, it's it's a, an efficient counterspell. I don't think any of these were quite in the running for Draft Chaff Hero in the same way that Invasion of Amonkhet was, though. I mean, th- this is just such a, a splashable, board-affecting card, and it becomes immediately the focus of the game. Whereas if you use, like, Assimilate Essence, it's like, all right, you countered my 3-drop with a 2-drop, you got some good value, but it's not going to totally warp the way the game plays out. Uh, Invasion of Amonkhet fully warps the way that the, the rest of that game is going to go. Yeah, I think it's also important to mention, too, like, Part of the charm and the allure of Invasion of Amonkhet is that it fuels itself, right? Even if mm. you did nothing else, if nothing died before you get it to a Lazatep Convert, which you have control over, right? Because you can just choose not to attack into the thing if you don't have options. But if nothing else died, it already milled six cards. Mm-hmm. So you do have likely some options. One, Either you or your opponent are going to hit a creature almost, almost certainly off of your top three, right? So yeah. Let's go into some of the vectors that this can show up in. I mean, the, the first home is pretty obviously just straight up blue-black, right? If you have a blue-black deck with one or two of these, you're probably in pretty good shape, right? Oh, yeah, that's already the strongest vector in the format, arguably. I don't Nothing comes to mind that's really that close. I guess the tight white-blue decks can edge out some of the good blue-black decks as well. But yeah. for the most part, I think widely considered the best vector in the format and... It's the best card in the best vector. It's yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot of brain cells to figure out that it's really good in there. Yeah, I find blue black often has some convoke aspects to it, um, thanks to a lot of the, the good blue commons with it. But it plays a pretty controlling game plan too. It can beat down depending on how its draw goes, but it's just really strong value stuff. Uh, it just has some of the, the highest performing commons and uncommons in the set in 
what are now known to be the best colors. Uh, I think it also does pretty well with some graveyard synergy, right? This graveyard vector that's um, thanks to cards like Unsealed and Acropolis, Halo Charge, Scob, at Common, uh, others in, in Uncommon as well. And then not to mention, it, I think just some of the black rares are, are the most busted things you can hope to, to open. Uh, the Broodlord maybe in particular is, is what really summarizes it for me. It's like, oh yeah, Broodlord, like, Gonna get a bunch of good blue black stuff. Try to pick up some preening champions, some uh, little one drops. Even the the vampire uh, Icker drinker, and that that thing is pretty solid in that vector as well. Uh, just nice solid value stuff. Yeah, I'll throw into uh, shout out to the listeners. We got roasted in the Discord because in the battle for battles episode or battle of the battles episode, Ben and I like completely drew blanks on how many dragons were in the set, and the only one we could <laughs> think of was Zergo and Ojitai. But there's like Broodlord, there's the the Shivan dragon that convokes in red. There's like yeah, a whole bunch that we just like totally forgot about. So uh, yeah, we got roasted. Thanks for not letting us get away with that one. But yeah, totally agree. Black has, and I think we we actually felt this in pre-release. Black just seemed to have the the most runaway rares in the set. The, Black seems to have the rares that when somebody plays it, you're like, well, that needs to die. Um, a lot of other colors have really good rares as well, but Black seems to have the biggest concentration of them. And just having access to those off the back of some of these like blue commons that are really good structure for your deck, the Convoke spells, it, it just all plays very nicely together. These are, these are tools that were kind of meant to be uh, in the same tool belt, as it were. I also do want to shout out uh, Halo Forager, which I kind of expected to be the draft draft hero when looking at the set initially. I mean, a yeah. three one, three three mana three one flyer that's also kind of like a Snapcaster Mage. Um, we'll say that these, this pairs really well with uh, in, Invasion of Amonkhet. I mean, it, you can get that thing off the backside if you have the the convert come in as uh, the fairy. Plus, if you just you know, curve the fairy into this. Maybe if it works out that way, uh, that three power flying is pretty good for attacking the invasion. So a little shout out there. I, I don't even think it came as one of the runner ups, honestly, but uh, I, I do want to shout it out because it's one of my favorite cards in the set. So on to the next vector here, Grixis Convoke Sack. It's kind of a weird vector, but seems pretty good. Again, this, this is playing off the back of the blue backs, blue black stuff, but you know, you've got access to red. Yeah, I've been drafting this one more than I expected. It turns out Convoke and Sack, these two vectors point in pretty similar directions. They both ask you to play a bunch of cheap things, things that make multiple bodies. Uh, I found it to be pretty strong to Convoke some stuff out. And then once you've hit the stage of the game where your mana is established, you can cast all your stuff. You don't really need to Convoke things uh, for mana efficiency's sake anymore. Then you start sacking some things, getting value, buying them back from the graveyard, that type of thing. Uh, and it's good in this deck too, um, especially because this deck can go wide and pretty easily attack into the invasion. It doesn't mind losing a few tokens. And then it's playing smaller bodies, like maybe one mana one ones that you otherwise wouldn't expect to put in a deck. But those types of cards are strong to copy as a 4-4 because they tend to have abilities that are more slated for small mana values. And now we're going to summarize the rest of the vectors uh, and one, because this set is, is pretty unique, I'm going to say any deck that can cast it. <laughs> any deck that can maybe even warp its mana base a little bit to cast it. If you're playing a, I don't know, like a blue-green deck, and it's pack three, and you open one of these, I often think it's correct to take it. Um, but really, th this goes from just straight-up blue-green into like a Sultai deck, into like a five-color deck, into anything in between. Green has the multicolor fixing for this. Uh, it's got the Kami of Whispered Hopes. It's got the Invasion of Zendikar, at, both at Uncommon. It has Blighted Burgeoning at, at Common. Uh, and honestly, the, uh, the the Portent Tracker, 
Uh, yeah, it untaps a land, so it doesn't add mana of any color. But given the fixing in this set, I find that that actually helps you splash double color things or things with more intense mana values like the invasion. Because maybe you have a blue-black duel, and then you could add blue, untap it, add black. And that you don't always get access to if you're working with just uh, basics. So we did have a couple of runner-ups, and we already mentioned this a little bit in the data section of the show. But, of course, Printing Champion was next on our list. Um, and then when we did look at the data, we realized, oh, Printing Champion actually isn't the mathematically next on the list. Marshall of Zalfir is, and it has the same win rate. So I guess if you were going strictly off-game and hand win rate, you could have interchangeably picked Marshall of Zalfir or Invasion of Amonkhet. We went with Invasion of Amonkhet because it fits more decks. It's a little bit easier to play. Definitely feels more flexible. So that's why we went that route. But Marshall's Alfier also puts up great numbers. And then again, the printing champion fits into, ironically, kind of the same deck as Marshall's Alfier. It's just a little more flexible because you can literally play it in any green, uh, any blue deck and you're going to be very happy with it. I will say, I think both of these, uh, well, sadly, I don't think we can support the Marshall, but printing champion and invasion of Amonkhet. I think both of these have a future in the draft chap cube. Yeah. Printing champion especially has like overlapping and overlapping (laughs) uh, support in that, in that cube. So like it'll fit into a handful of decks. We actually have uh, our our blue black vector is discard, but it does have a reanimate sub theme. Um, Part of that is extract from darkness. That's a three blue black. Each player uh, mills two. Uh, and then you get to reanimate something. It's a sorcery for five. This is just a more texturally interesting version of that card. It's basically the same. (laughs) Uh, Plus it has that kind of disinformation campaign effect. I see this as a very easy swap for Extract from Darkness. As for what Preening Champion would take uh, the position of, I think I'd have to do a little more research into the curve and, and figure that out. But um, it fits really well in the tokens and, and uh, ETB effects strategies. Um, just, you know, these types of cards, a three mana body that makes another token, these always overperform. Yeah, we may want to take a look at the Convoke side of things too for the blue-red free, free casting decks. Mm-hmm. may want to like adjust that vector a little bit to include some of the Convoke stuff to make them easier to free cast. But. So a couple of miscellaneous things we wanted to mention. Um, first of all, Aftermath. What's, uh, what's going on here? So we saw that they added Aftermath Draft. I, I don't want to compare this to Alchemy, right? But from what I've seen, the Aftermath Draft is just kind of taking these Aftermath cards and jamming them in a set that they weren't designed for, right? I mean, these have some pretty unique effects. And yeah, this does sort of work like a bonus sheet, which we've been very complimentary of, um, especially with like the Shadows Remastered Draft. So I'm going to give it a chance. Um, but I, without knowing to what extent they were designed for this set, I could see them as being a little odd. Um, that being said, they have very interesting designs because most of the set is planeswalkers that have been de-sparked. That's got some lore implications too. Like these planeswalkers aren't planeswalkers anymore. They're just legendary creatures now. They're stuck on their planes for the most part. Yeah, and I guess we'll save this. We haven't really talked yet about how we're going to handle the um, the the Flavor Town episode for this set. Maybe we'll do a Mom Matt combo Flavor Town because I don't know that there's enough story to do a separate one on Matt, but oh, we're slated we can, for a one mom, Matt story. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot. We're going to do, we're going to do all three. Yeah, uh, be good. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think again, huge fans so far of the bonus sheets and the way they've executed those. And I think it's something that is actually going to be very interesting to see if they'll continue <clears throat> doing this in the future with other standard legal sets, because what we saw at first with was something like shadows remastered, which is a remastered set. They, didn't have enough slots to put all the cards 
that they wanted to from all the sets in the shadows block. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, here's let's, let's build these bonus sheets out. And each of the sheets or each of the sections of the bonus sheet were themed. And so they inserted cards that were built on a certain theme and then they removed other cards that didn't fit that theme, et cetera, et cetera. Here, as far as I'm aware, we just got all 50 cards just slammed or it's even more than 50, isn't it? Just slammed right into the set. And that's fine. But I do agree with you that that may lead to some tension where like you open packs and you're just like, this card is useless in this format. Why would like, Ugh, you know, um, and I don't know the breakdown on how they replace rares, etc. I'm not sure how all that works. Um, I've got a few complaints for the paper version of this product in mm-hmm. that they're the same cost as normal boosters, but they're only like five cards of booster. It's just like whack. On, wizards. Stop being greedy. You don't need to. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think maybe this points to I just don't really enjoy when paper and arena have a discontinuity. I like to be able to get the same experience in paper as I can in arena. And I don't know what the fix for this is. Maybe I would have preferred a full set for aftermath or at least a draftable set or something like uh, maybe going back to like a two block draft format somehow where they release this, but it's balanced with cards from mom. Uh, but these just take like the guaranteed rare slot. So that you, like you're guaranteed to see one per draft. I don't know. I don't know how I would have done this differently, but something just rubbed me the wrong way about it. Yeah, I kind of wish they did this. I actually kind of wish they handled this like they did. Well, no, not exactly like they did, but in spirit, I wish they handled this the way they wanted to do the Midnight Hunt Vow mashup, Mm, where instead of actually mashing both sets together and giving you like a 600 card draft format, it would have been nice if they remastered Mom and One, designed the two sets such that they could be remastered in a way that the cards could work together, and then added in these aftermath cards as the last bit of the remaster and then just left it at that. So it was a draftable set. You'd have aftermath packs you could buy that were still 15 cards. You could still draft with them. You'd basically be getting reprints for mom and one, but you'd get some of the new aftermath cards from a collector's perspective. That kind of sucks because how often are you going to get the new aftermath cards? I don't know unless they could like guarantee so many of them per pack, but I don't know. I think that would have been more interesting, at least to your point from a continuity perspective between paper and arena, but Given that we got what we got, um, I, I'm going to have to draft it a bunch to see if I like the the way that they handled it this way. It looks like there are about four to five cards per color in like monocolored stuff. Then there's like a bunch of multicolored, you know, mashup legends and like, uh, as Ben mentioned, a bunch of planeswalkers that don't have their sparks anymore. So they're just legendary creatures again. Kind of curious what they did to decide who loses their spark. Um, hmm. Would be cool. Would have been cool to kind of get some information on that if we didn't. But or if we did, I'm not sure, but I noticed they also kind of used like a core set to insert a couple random cards here and there. The one I'm most excited about is the Copper Code Vanguard. Uh, the one in the white 2 2 human gives the other humans word one and plus one plus oh. Oh man, that is a good card for white weenies. Um, might be better than Luminar Casprin. I don't know. I, I gotta, is this I gotta a do standard some... legal set. Yeah, yeah, this is standard. Uh, oh, okay. But that, that one's going straight to Pioneer. I mean, the two mana human lord that gives your stuff word. It's it's pretty sick. Yeah. I've gotten a chance to play with it. Uh, plus, the, there's a, an alt art that's pretty sick. A uh, Coria style, like comic book in your face art. Uh, anywho, curious to hear what the listeners have to say on this. And to be honest, I've had this pile of arena codes just sitting on my desk for a while. So uh, go ahead and, and hop in the Discord. Share your thoughts. First four people to share thoughts on the implementation of Aftermath. Uh, just tag me and I'll send you a, an arena code if you're the, one of the first four people to, to share your thoughts on this in Discord. Remember, you just got to like, comment, subscribe. Oh, that's how gosh, we, that's how we bump we've up the numbers. We've gone like a, a couple of months without you saying that. 
<laughs> you brought it back. Okay. It's a long running joke. If you're a new listener, you may not know that he does that <laughs> from time to time. But uh, look, that's we're been. influencers now. It's important to lean into the culture. <laughs> you signed up for the draft chaff experience. This is what you get. Um, yeah. So uh, do we want to talk about some of these, le- these planeswalkers that lost their sparks? I mean, we've got like Tyvar, Sarkon, Samut, Karn, uh, Nissa, Obnixilis, Niv-Mizzet, Narset, Nahiri, Kiora. Did I miss any? Calyx. Some of these are ones they haven't done anything with in a while. Kiora know, in particular, right? <laughs> Calyx. Um, it's like, oh, oh no, right. Kiora you lost exist. his spark. Dang. But I don't know. Some of them, it's like, would they have even noticed? We haven't seen their multiversal adventures, but Kiora, for example, like, Hasn't she? Yeah, last time we saw her was on Zendikar, wasn't it? Was she on Zendikar? She was on Battle for Zendikar. I think like she was there to help them defeat the Eldrazi. And then like that's the last time we saw her. Was she there? I don't I honestly don't even remember. And that 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 says something, right? Uh who knows? So either way, um I kind of like this story-wise. I would like it if it's permanent. Uh I, I think it'd be cool to see a changing of the guard for a lot of these planeswalkers and i see this as a way that they might be using um this kind of great rupture the spark rupture as they they call it in a card with some fantastic alt art i gotta say uh to kind of cycle in some new faces some new heroes then again in some of the in some of the lore for mom quintorius very clearly uh has some kind of planeswalker shenanigans going on we don't know for sure what is up with quint but especially because he gets a, uh, a creature card in the set. And uh, if you read the Mom Aftermath lore, uh, the, the stories that are out right now, spoilers for that, I guess, um, they, there are some Planeswalkers that maintain their sparks. Also, there's some holes in space-time that it seems like anyone can pass through. Maybe not just Planeswalkers, but that has been left as a cliffhanger too. So we don't really know where this is going. Uh, I'm not sure if... Maybe mechanically, this is to make room for battles to take over planeswalker slots as evergreen mechanics in future sets. Maybe instead of three walkers per set, we'll get one, like two walkers and two battles. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting from a set design perspective to see what implications this will have. I'm for it. I kind of like just shaking things up. You like you said, Ben. Maybe a change of the guard. Have some different planeswalkers show up. There's so many cool ones out there that we hardly get to experience or mm-hmm. learn about or any of that kind of stuff. And we've been with the gate watch for like 8 million years. It feels like, so yeah. I'm kind of glad those have slowly been dying off. We've been slowly getting rid of the gate watch, but yeah, it's kind of cool to see those change. Um, again, not sure how they picked which ones got deplane, uh, de-sparked, I guess, um, would have liked to understand a little bit more about why they, they picked the ones they did if they didn't just throw darts at a board and <laughs> go with that. Um, this also, and I haven't read the story yet, for aftermath. So Ben, maybe you can clue me in on if this was ever answered, but what are the implications of say Nissa lost her spark? Is she just never allowed to get back to Zendikar again? <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you read the story. It does answer that. Okay. In fact, okay. that's maybe kind of the key focus of one of the full stories. That would make sense to me because I can't imagine her being stuck on any plane other than Zendikar and being content, right? Like that is yeah, something she would absolutely yeah. Long story short, uh, she's not happy about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because what plane were they on with the... Well, I guess they moved around a bit with all the invasions and such, but um, I can't remember what plane Nissa ended up with in Mom. Like Nissa did end up on Zalfir. Zalfir, okay. Which is now a plane unto itself. Right. Sorry, Nissa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. 
definitely jump in the discord. If you're not already in there, we'd love to see you come say hi. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Again, huge thanks to all the patrons who continue to support us over there each and every week. Another way you can support the show is check out our merch store, draftchaff.com and or shop.draftchaff.com. I think both of those work and uh, check out some of the merch we've got over there. Otherwise, uh, you can find us on Twitter at draftchaffpod and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks, folks. One last thing. Uh, I haven't got much time to play Tears of the Kingdom because I've had very little time to just sit down at home and you know, actually play it. But what I have seen are all the community creations. And honestly, within 24 hours of this game dropping, the community went just absolutely nuts. And have you seen any of these things that are being posted everywhere? I only saw the one, I think, that was shared in our Discord. Let me get this straight. So as I understand it, Tears of the Kingdom is largely a Breath of the Wild clone, but you can move things. Yeah, so... And I, I adore Breath of the Wild. I think it's one of the best. Yeah, I don't say games, that. By the way, I don't say it alone negatively. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Wasn't big. Here's the funniest part. I think this might be some of the best asset reusing in video games ever. Uh, the, the way they smartly took the best parts of Breath of the Wild and the, the things people love brought it back in Tears of the Kingdom. But then it's kind of like they added two more full games on top of it. And then triple the map size because they added dimensions where there's funny enough. I keep calling them skyclaves in my head because that's what they are <laughs> magic, but they are functionally giant floating islands uh, and other other structures that are like skyclaves um, and also a subterranean level as well. And that all are fully explorable. The NPCs are more interesting. The side quests are more interesting. Uh, and just like jumping off the first platform when it, it pans and you see, oh, that's the scope of this game, it's it's magic. It is so worth it. And uh, yeah, they also happen to make maybe the best physics simulator of all time just in doing this. I, the, the gameplay mechanics of this work so well with it. What you may have seen is that you can stick stuff together, and that means you could stick a rocket onto a box and then hit the rocket and launch a box at your enemy. Or you could build a tank and then attach rockets to that. Make a rocket-powered turbo tank. Or maybe, I don't know, attach a sword to your shield, and then when you shield bash people, like, uh, the, the, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, the best thing I think I've seen, or the only thing I've seen so far is, like, a, a big campfire with, like, I don't know, like a... a oh, the Koroks like, getting <laughs> roasted on yeah. top of it. Uh, you It starts off making simple machines like that, but it's closer to Minecraft than maybe anything else I've seen in just how dynamic it is with what you're able to build. Uh, I mean, long story short, I, I've seen people make full Gundam mech suits. And wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absurd. I cannot wait to dive deeper in this game. Yeah.